I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Krafchick, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating, where we want to get to the bottom of why people do the things that they do. And we try to do this on every episode, which is the motive for our entire podcast figuring out people's behaviors. Yes, we had a great event this week all about dating profiles. And I feel like I've never thought about dating profiles this much. I had like one one sentence about me's and I... <laughs> 
<laughs> Me too. I was going to say, I really love, I really appreciate how mindful people are about their profiles. And I loved like all the things that we learned in the session. Yeah, we had two great experts, Marie Tuin and Nitya Preslaki, who is a photographer, and they tag teamed on helping people to make their dating profiles better, but also step back and, and ask yourself, like, why am I even on dating apps in the first place? Yeah, I feel like there were definitely some good photo tips that I need to apply. I am like, oh, the yeah. worst at photos. I cannot keep my eyes open in them. I have like a serious <laughs> blinking problem. And I asked an anonymous question, put in air quotes of like, how can you, you know, <laughs> not close your eyes, but not be like super bug eyed either, because I've definitely swung the opposite side of the pendulum. And that does not look good in photos either. It's hard to keep your eyes open when you're focusing on like your body, you're focusing on like, where should I put my hands? Right? Where, how should I pose? Where should I stand? And then you're like, fuck, now I have to think about keeping my eyes open. Yes. <laughs> Same time. Too much to balance. I think it's also like when you're doing selfies, like I feel like it's a little easier when someone's doing it. But it's like when you're doing a selfie, it's like you got to control it. Yeah. You got to keep your eye. It's like too much at once. That just doesn't turn out good. But the I, I thought it was a someone brought, no, Vance said do um, burst mode. I think that's a really yes. great yes. tip. Yes. It's just take a thousand pictures at once. One of them is bound to be good with your eyes open. Yeah, but it was really fun. I liked the critiquing of people's profiles. And mm. I feel like our three people that did it are going to have some really good results. They got very actionable things to change. That was good. And they already had good profiles to begin with. Right. It's just going to make them even more stellar. But I feel like we had such a good reception to last week's episode also all about dating profiles with Dawoon mm-hmm. King from um, Coffee Meets Bagel. And I'll, I'll just give Diana and Amet, hopefully I'm pronouncing your last name correctly, a uh, shout out because she actually used my tip of going on photofeeler.com, that one that like yeah. actually <laughs> rates them. And she did confirm that you will get sucked into spending at least $30. That is ex- <laughs> exactly verbatim model. what I said. It's like they get you with like, oh, you only need like $5 to start. Yep. <laughs> and then that's how they get you. I, but we need to get out of our heads and get other people's opinions because sometimes have you stared at your photos so long that you have no idea how you can even judge if it's a good photo anymore? Right. Really need other people's opinions. It makes sense yeah. to do so. That was a good episode. It was. It was. But we have quite the episode in store this week. We have Brian Clark, who is our most dateable winner. Woo. So you all probably remember the most dateable contest. What was that? In February we did it? Yeah, right around Valentine's this was, Day. Right. This was like such a high production value for Zoom events. Louise, yeah. our events producer, just like totally killed it with this. And UA, I give you major credit too that you organized the talent and everyone just blew us away <laughs> from this. But there could only be one most dateable and that was Brian Clark. And of course we were like, we got to get you on a podcast episode. He really showed us his V card, his vulnerability card. Yeah. <laughs> on, uh, yeah, we're like tossing around pl- naming the episode that and then we're like, no, people are totally going to think it's like virginity card. Too confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Too confusing. But I love the show. I think we need a t-shirt that says show us your V-card. That's a yeah. great yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, but Brian really showed us his V-card at uh, the most dateable contest. And we wanted to go deeper in his story. He talks all about just like his own personal journey, you know, like going through therapy and really like learning how to be more vulnerable and not just like, you know, bottle up feelings. And we talk about this on our show about therapy quite a bit and we talk about when you should try therapy and it's not so much that you are experiencing a problem or you're at a crossroads in your life or 
or something devastating is happening and you're, you go into therapy. In this episode, you'll see that therapy is sort of like this muscle that you just have to work all the time. You don't go to the gym the minute you eat a hamburger. You work out just to maintain your health. The same thing with therapy. You do this to maintain your mental health and in honor of National mm-hmm. Mental Health Awareness Month, as we said before, also National AAPI Heritage Month and also National <laughs> Masturbation Month, all the three things Quite that are so important. <laughs> it is important for us to recognize that we are huge proponents of therapy. We think it is important for everybody, no matter where you are in life, what you're going through, even if you don't think you have problems. Trust me, we all have problems from our childhood. Yes, yes. it goes all the way back. And it it takes a a professional to help us unravel and undo all the things that were said to us, done to us, that we were exposed to as a child. I saw the funniest video on TikTok that was like, oh, here we go. We need to give you your own segment. Julie on TikTok. Julie's findings (laughs) on TikTok. I'm 100% a lurker, not a contributor. But it was like, what is the four words that you want every man to say? And of course, this could be interchanged for any gender, but it was, I have a therapist. (laughs) The sexiest words to ever come out of someone's mouth. <laughs> but we got to normalize therapy. It's mm-hmm. no longer a thing for crazy people. Everybody yep. is crazy. There's no such thing as normal. We are all, we are all totally. crazy to some extent. And it's good just to get a professional to help us exercise those mental health muscles. Yue, I'm curious, like, what are some of your experiences with, um, doesn't, I guess, doesn't have to be therapy per se, but like, have you had those moments that you did something like, the internal work and it changed like dating for you? I think everything. I've done a lot of uh, couples counseling that I've talked about. Right. Quite a right. bit. Group therapy. <laughs> Group therapy. And I went into therapy thinking it's going to solve my issues. Mm. And I came out of therapy knowing that I have the tools to solve my own issues mm. as opposed to looking for someone else to do it. And I think what therapy has really done for me, especially group therapy, is to highlight that everyone has issues and there are no issues that are too big or too small. Your truth is your truth. Whatever your issue is that you're going through right Mm -hmm. now, it's hindering your ability to fully love someone or to find love. That is a big issue, Mm -hmm. whether on the grand scheme of things is like big or small. So I personally just believe therapy has just helped me find more clarity. Totally. That's such an interesting point, because I feel like sometimes you're like, oh, my love life, like that doesn't deserve therapy. But like, Mm. it does deserve therapy, because it's, you know, affecting you. I mean, I went, I definitely turned to therapy after a breakup, for sure. Like, I actually think there was, Mm. I can think of like two pivotal moments for me in my like dating life. Like one of them was when I just was frustrated by dating. Like it was like, after Mm -hmm. I was like serial dating all the time, and nothing was going anywhere. And I actually didn't turn to therapy, I turned to Marty Batista, one of our past past guests, but it was kind of therapy, like it was like really working out like your limiting beliefs and what was holding you back from dating. And I think that's why like, I'm so like bullish about like our like, you know, like the sounding board audio we do, because I do believe that stuff really can help you. And it definitely changed my mindset. And that's that's like when I met my like seri- most serious ex, like right after that. I mean, wasn't my ex at the time, but se- boyfriend after that, like kind of work, right? Um, and then mm-hmm. I went to therapy after we broke up the first time. 
I, I mean, there's stats, I think, that like going after a breakup is a pretty common thing. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I started with BetterHelp, actually, our sponsor. Use our code. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember that was kind of like my gateway to therapy. And it was really great. But it was definitely like around the realm of him. Like that was the focus. It was less about me. And then I feel like I transitioned to in-person therapy. And then it started to break down like me. Like every time I would talk about him, she would kind of turn it back on me. And I thought that Mm -hmm. was like really great um, way to kind of go deeper on it. And I think honestly, it changed me. I think I'm glad like that breakup was brutal, but I'm glad it brought me to therapy because I think it changed me and made me much more introspective and take ownership I think for my feelings like I think that was a Mm -hmm. big piece of it like I think I just distracted myself a lot like in the past like with external stuff and I didn't really like even take the time to sit with my own emotions so I think it really helped with that and I think it made me a stronger person overall helps you articulate your story right I feel like that's what therapy kind of forces you to do is to talk about it out loud versus the other types of therapy that uh, the media loves to portray like retail therapy Mm -hmm. food therapy those are distractions because they're (laughs) not you're not confronting your own emotions but I agree I think just putting it out there and using your own words to describe what you're going through sometimes is just very therapeutic Mm -hmm. in itself I mean I personally believe this wholeheartedly and probably anyone that's been listening to this podcast could see that you and I are both stand for this. But it's like, I definitely think there are some external things that you can do to present yourself in a better light, whether that's, you know, better dating profile or makeover, whatever that may be. But I do really firmly believe that it's like the inside work that makes people dateable. Like I think a lot of times I think what I was like, like I mentioned, having those times where things weren't really progressing, it was because Mm -hmm. I hadn't done that work yet. Like, I think that is mm-hmm. such and that's like when I think separates the people that are like blaming the apps, blaming their city versus like taking accountability. Yeah. And you have to realize therapy is not a Band-Aid effect. No. It's not like, oh, I'm going through a breakup. Go to therapy. Oh, I'm not getting the matches I want. Go to therapy. It's this muscle we constantly have to work. And I think going to therapy on a regular basis especially when things are going well, Mm -hmm. is probably better than going when things are really bad. Absolutely. And for anyone that really wants to dig into this topic, we've covered, I mean, we talk about therapy, we kind of hit it in a lot of episodes, but we have a few that are really dedicated to uh, mental health. We have dating and mental health. That was like a big one. That's the most obvious Can you guess what that one's about? (laughs) Yeah. What what could that possibly be about? But we had a really great episode. I think it was season seven. So it's a little bit in the archives, but you can search on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever you're using, or our website. You can always go to Mm -hmm. datablepodcast.com. But also we had um, Dating with Depression with Tony. That was last season. That was a really great episode. I know a lot of people said like, this really helped me because I feel like I have bouts of depression or I've dated a partner Mm -hmm. with experiencing depression. And I I mean, I've definitely experienced this too. And it can be like one of the hardest things on a relationship. So hearing other people's stories and reflecting is always important. Rather, you are the person that's going through it or the one that with someone that's going. 
rolling through it. Yeah, we're very much looking forward for you all to hear Brian's story. And the story doesn't end with this episode. We're all on this journey and the journey never stops. So we get to hear him in the middle of his journey and where he's headed. It's absolutely fascinating and insightful. And that brings me to our question. Can we do our question? Let's do it. Our nude segment. Going into (laughs) dating advice. Here's a question we always get asked and now we finally get to answer it. What are the top three topics you should not discuss on a date? Top three topics. I can think of, yes, very juicy or things, the juicy things that you should not be discussing on on dates. Here's one I think is an absolute no-no is talking negatively about your ex. It's just a no-no. Just don't do it. Don't do it. There's you can talk about your previous relationships. Talk them talk about them in a in a positive light, how much you've learned from them, how much you've grown from them and leave it at that. You don't need to bring in what a bitch she was, what an asshole he was, how it just left you in the dust and how no. it broke you. There's no need on a date keep it light, keep it positive. I learned way too much about a past date's <laughs> past relationship and I'm like on a I date. Should, yeah, I'm like I'm never going to see you again. I should not know any of this about yeah, you. You're like like, no like I was like Sex life, money problems. I'm like, I do not need to know this. Like, yeah. no. Save yeah. that for your therapist. Like, that should not be me. That's hearing that, you know? Here's an episode of Dateable you should just yeah, listen to. <laughs> exactly. Like, that's like another thing is like, don't want to be a therapist on a date. Like, there's yeah. definitely a thin line of sharing like past traumas. But I think when it goes like, especially in early dates, like the goal of early dates is to have fun and to like create new mm-hmm. memories with this person. And I think when you're so fixated on the past it's really hard to do that so I think you should get vulnerable in the sense of like fears or stuff that's like you know going to affect the current day or even like from your childhood I think there's a time and a place but I do think there is the line of having a conversation versus like being a venting session and that is that is a no-no on a date no one wants to be your therapist on a date or we're gonna start charging $250 an hour for that (laughs) or more or Or one bitcoin whatever just whatever you have Exactly. <laughs> Just send the bill, Venmo, your like therapy bill. I think the one though that people do a lot that I think irks me is complaining about the dating apps. Oh, yes. I don't want to go on a date to hear you complain about dating app. The negativity is draining. Like, I think at the end of the day, you have to think about, like, how do you want to feel in a relationship? Do you want to feel drained? Do you want to feel, like, happy? And, you know, like, what feeling are you trying to get out of this? And if you're doing the opposite feeling, it's going to be really hard to find a partner because you're bringing that energy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it doesn't, it sets a weird mood for the date because more likely than not, you probably met on a dating app. And here's this person complaining about the very resource that brought you two together. So how are you supposed to feel in that moment? Can't feel very good. And it's just the overall theme of all three of these is just negativity. Don't bring in the negativity. Keep it fun. Keep it positive. We all want to date someone who's positive. We're not trying to be miserable with someone else who's feeling miserable at the same time we want someone to uplift us and we want to uplift each other so just keep that theme in mind it's just anything negative throw it out the door when it comes to dating but it's it's probably a surprise for some of you because according to those old dating books the three topics you shouldn't talk about on dates are like religion politics, politics sex. sex yeah i think you, i think you should talk Go for about it. all of those Do it. i think they're a good thing i mean yeah like i think all of this too it's we we don't believe in hard fast rules so i don't want to 
say like you have to be positive 100% of the time. But I think there is something about the early stages of dating, and then the context of the negativity. Like, is it that you're helping the partner once you've established that trust? Or is it just a venting session? That's the distinction. And if you do, I agree, Julie, you don't have to be positive, like happy go lucky the entire date, but you can be really authentic. Say, I had a really hard time with the dating apps. It was really frustrating. But hey, it brought us together. And I'm very grateful for the dating apps because we are here together. You know, like show that transformation. Right. It's like going back to Corey's episode, right? All about Mm. how you went the storytelling episode going from how do you tell that story? And that's the change that happened or the realization you had. Yeah. So there you go. Top three things to not talk about on a date. Don't be vulnerable that way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Positive vulnerability. Positive V. Yeah, I think the vulnerability is so interesting too. I mean, we're going to obviously dive way deep in this episode. But I think what I've learned from a lot of the episodes we've done is vulnerability doesn't need to be I think this came up a lot on the dating trauma episode with Janice, one of the crowd favorites. It doesn't need to be revealing your deep, dark secrets to be mm. vulnerable. It can just be at the end of the date being like, hey, had a really good time. Like it doesn't have to be something like prolific. It just needs needs to be something that like is putting yourself out there a little. And also vulnerability could just mean admitting to not knowing something. That's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. If someone's talking about their job in an industry you have no idea about, instead of pretending that you're nodding along, you know what they're saying, just be vulnerable in the moment and say, actually, I have no idea what you do. Right. And I don't know anything about this industry. Would you mind just giving me a little bit more information? People love that shit because they love talking about themselves. Exactly. <laughs> so quick run up of announcements, and then we'll get into sponsors, and then we'll get into the meat of it. Um, as always, check out Love in the Time of Corona. That's our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram at Datable Podcast. And then for the people that really want the good stuff, join the sounding board, datablepodcast.com slash sounding board. We have a killer audio series. We have a new episode coming out and people have just been saying how much this has been helping them with personal transformation, which is basically the crux of this episode. Like last month, we did all about identifying your blind spots when it comes to dating, Mm -hmm. which is a huge one. Or when you're in relationships too, this doesn't stop once you've met someone. It amplifies once you've met someone. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like it's just been, I think what's great about the community is you can do what works for you. You can listen in your privacy of your home or you can come to the monthly challenge discussion group where they actually like go in and I think Janice mentioned actually on her episode like what group could you go there and straight face talk about all your fears and anxiety and everyone's (laughs) like I get it. I'm here for you. Like it's amazing. (laughs) It's an amazing community but also you do you. You make the community however you want it to and you can interact the way you want it to if you want to be an introvert and not have any of this virtual interaction. You do you. Again, make it your Uh, But we really love that this is an extension of our podcast. So if you haven't gotten enough of us and our content through these episodes, here's another avenue for you to get even more information. This is when we can actually become friends, real friends. (laughs) The big F. Yep, big F. (laughs) But last announcement is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We are almost at 500. That is our short goal. We, of course, want to go way, way higher than 500. We know there's way more of you than 500 out they're listening so please take like one second drop us a five-star rating if you are so inclined even a one to two sentence review that always makes us smile when we read those so thank you in advance okay let's get into our sponsors 
This episode is brought to you by Z-Man Games, an array of fun games for adults, one of which is called Love Letter. Now, in this card game, your goal is to win the heart of the noble princess who is looking for an ideal partner and confidant to help with her royal duties when she one day assumes the throne. Your goal is to enlist the characters in the castle to deliver your love letter while keeping other players' letters away. It's trickier than it sounds. Powerful cards lead to early gains but make you a target and rely on weaker cards for too long and your letter may be tossed in the fire. I find it to be a fun and nice 20-minute mental break during the day. This two to six player card game fits in your pocket so you can take it with you anywhere. Love Letter is appropriate for ages 10 and up and is available for $11.99 through Z-Man Games. You can find it at Target, your local game store, or directly through Z-Man's web store. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We at Datable are huge fans of therapy and BetterHelp can match you with your own licensed therapist and connect you in a safe and private online environment. Me, for example, I was able to start communicating with my therapist in less than 48 hours. It was so quick. Now, BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Their licensed professionals specialize in everything from dating trauma, stress, anxiety, trauma with a big T, uh, depression, grief, you name it, they have someone who's an expert in that. We at Datable wish for all of you to live a happy, healthy life. And that's why as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash Datable. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp spelled H-E-L-P dot com slash d-a-t-e-a-b-l-e cool so shall we hear it from brian <sighs> ladies and gentlemen this is for the first time in dateable history i bring you our most dateable winner brian clark everyone i really believe that you know, the competition was pretty close. I'm not going to lie. The other candidates for most dateable were incredible. But you really won our judges because of the V word, vulnerability. You were so vulnerable with your answers, with your experiences, with everything you were saying. And it made what you said have so much depth and people felt connected to you. So we're all curious to know, how does Brian Clark, Mr. 28 years old, living in the suburbs of Maryland, he's been there for eight months, originally from La Plata? Is that how you say it? La Plata. No one can ever <laughs> oh, say that right. Yeah. No one says it right. I, I, I like La Plata better. Okay. Yeah. We could just call it La, La Plata. Plata. Yeah. Or Lap Plata. Lapida. Lapida. Yeah, lap. Sounds like a strip club. Lap, lap. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, La Plata. The La Plata at La Plata. <laughs> Maryland. Anyway, no, he does not work there, but he is originally from there. He's pretty single. He's been taking a dating sabbatical. How does Mr. Brian Clark become so vulnerable and be the vulnerable person that he is today? Let's start there. Take us back to before you became vulnerable. What was pre-V Brian Clark like? All right. Well, we're starting off strong. Let's yeah, we're, see. we're going there. <laughs> we're just going right into it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is an exam almost. Um, so it's been a journey. 
I, the person who I am today is definitely quite different from who I was even two, three years ago. It was very quiet growing up. So um, I was very much that closeted gay kid in middle school. I was also that kid who also didn't really have any friends. So I was I was always afraid of connection because of also bullying I experienced when I was in middle school. So a lot of that set the stage for this very reserved, very held back, very don't really trust people kind of personality that I carried into high school and also into college and definitely for part of my early 20s as well. The journey with vulnerability was sort of a lagging for a while. For most of my early 20s, I was very much on the dating apps, um, going on multiple dates. I was very into hookup culture for quite some time as well. But I would say my growth with vulnerability didn't really progress for a certain amount of years. It would take sort of a series of other events to happen. Um, one of those being starting grad school. Um, and all these events that began in grad school for me to kind of be pushed to this place where I was sort of at a low point in life. Um, and I do think to this day that it is those low points that kind of really force us to kind of look in the mirror and really challenge that identity we hold. So what were some of these things that happened in grad school? Yeah. I'm dying to know. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, so in most people probably don't know, I was in grad school for clinical psychology. So I wanted to become mm. a psychologist at the time. And anyone who's been to grad school knows that it is a lot. Uh, specifically, a PhD is a lot. And the first year I made it through, but the problem was that a lot of things sort of happened my second year, which is the hardest year for that program. Uh, I had one of my closest friends at the time abruptly kind of cut me out of his life. The short version is we were out drinking one night, which we were always doing at that time. Um, <laughs> yeah, he basically had told me that, you know, I don't want you in my life anymore over um, something that occurred at the bar while we were both drunk. And after that, I had to sort of come to terms with this really emotionally traumatizing experience of losing a friend and not also not having knowing why. So having been in therapy, <laughs> I'm able to kind of look back on this with a little more objectivity and realize that my low self worth, which is actually one of my core beliefs, I have a core belief, I've learned that I unconsciously feel that who I am at my core is not good enough. So that could be not good enough for relationships, not good enough for love, not good enough for someone to like me for me, not good enough to for someone to want to be around me for just me. And so I do think that because of what happened with my friend, it was as if my core belief had basically just said, ha, grabbing it in the air and said, you see this? Here's the evidence. This is why you're not good enough. This mm -hmm. is the most evidence I've ever had in like years. And here it is. And it was like, basically, that was being held over my head that entire time. So consciously, I guess, wanted to disprove this, even if I wasn't conscious of it, I wanted to disprove the fact that no, I am worthy, I am lovable. I can make, you know, I can find it, you know, this guy I'm referring to is the strongest connection I've ever had with a guy. Uh, I haven't had many relationships, but at the time he was the strongest and I felt that I can love him and he can love me, then 
it's almost as if I'm proving that I am worthy. When I made the decision I to go back with my ex, I was very certain that we're probably meant to be together. Like, this is the person for me. This is a person I've had such a solid relationship with. He gets my humor. And most people are, like, scared of my humor. So, like, that's, like, a huge deal for a guy to get my humor. And, yeah, it just, it it wasn't the right place to start at for a relationship. I think what's really unique about your story is you had a series of relationships that weren't necessarily romantic. Some were romantic, some weren't, that got you to a point where you thought, I need therapy because I'm not expressing myself to the fullest. And for some reason, conflict is hard for you. And also the grieving process of losing a friend or losing a partner. So you wanted a, a system to process all of this. But at 20 some years old, how did you know to seek therapy? How did you even learn about therapy? Yeah, so being a student in clinical psych, you learn a lot. So I actually was a therapist for a year as a trainee. But in terms of sort of what brought me to therapy, um, so going back to the second year, all of this is transpiring. I'm getting back with my ex um, and a lot of things just start happening. So anyone who's gone back with an ex knows that the same issues come up again. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Always. They yes. did not go Definitely away, actually. That. <laughs> <laughs> and that those issues with this ex specifically were around um, communication on the surface. I want to preface by saying my ex is a really great guy <laughs> in case anyone's, you know, thinking like, oh, what a dick. And like, no, like he's actually like a really great guy. Totally. I don't um, think anybody's thinking he's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> um, we're still, you know fine. There's no ill anything between us today. Um, But he wasn't really raised to communicate emotions or really kind of see that growing up. Not to say I'm necessarily, you know, a genius at this either. But um, this created this very unhealthy back and forth with issues around me expressing my needs and him not understanding what I'm saying or kind of unintentionally gaslighting every now and then. That culminated all of this in this breakup. And when we were going through the breakup, I was at probably the lowest point at this point because I was experiencing symptoms of anxiety uh, and depression because of grad school. And I was seeking support. And he basically informed me that he was not going to give me that support. And it was interesting. It was almost as if like I it was kind of like I stepped out of my body And like, I just smacked myself and just looked at myself and said, Brian, what are you doing? It was one of those moments. And after that breakup, I was just at such a low point that I couldn't pick myself up emotionally. Uh, It was as if you threw a glass sheet and it just shattered on the floor is the kind of the best way I can put it. It was one of those low points that we experience in life that is like, I... I can't do this. I need therapy. I need someone to help me. Okay, so just backing up a little is that you, all the stuff is happening and you knew about therapy because you're in school. Was this the first time you sought out therapy for yourself? That's a good question. Um, This was the first time I sought out therapy. So I sort of like wanted to seek therapy for a couple years now, but there were always sort of things getting in the way. So career, job, working long hours, wanting to do other things on the weekend, hang out with friends. There were always these things in the way. So I didn't really have that push I needed. And I think a lot of people who 
um, are in therapy now kind of know what I'm talking about. There's sort of this thing that happens that sort of it's either a mental shift or a life shift or something happens where you're like, okay, no, like I'm ready for therapy and I'm going to do it. And for me, it really was this series of events of losing my close friend, um, everything that happened with grad school um, and my ex all in the same year just kind of brought me to this place where, to be frank, I just couldn't get up on my own emotionally anymore. Like there was no other choice. I had to seek therapy because I couldn't even wing it anymore because my confidence had been pretty much destroyed. I don't want to be too dramatic, but like at that point, my confidence was pretty much gone everything mm-hmm. I knew about where I was going in life. I had wanted to be a psychologist for probably like seven years at that point. I'd been pursuing psychology. So my whole career plan was gone as well. So this thing that I had defined myself for so long, which was getting into this program, becoming a psychologist was also gone. With therapy, I guess let's start with what were some of the surprises that you found in therapy? Even though you've been in this space Maybe there's just something like in those first initial few sessions, you're like, I didn't really think that I would get this out of therapy. So when I first started therapy, I was very optimistic because I was so ready for change. I was so ready to for this process. And it wasn't as smooth as I would have thought. Uh, there was this point about two months in where uh, I had looked at my therapist who's a uh, a woman in her 60s, I basically told her, you know, I feel kind of frustrated because I feel like you're not giving me answers. And I kind of want you to give me answers, <laughs> you know, and I also don't feel like I'm making Ooh. a lot of progress, you know. And she kind of looked at me and goes, yeah, I'm not here to give you answers. I'm here to guide you. You're the one who decides where we go. <laughs> I think that's such an important point, I, I guess, for us to highlight, because I think people think of therapy as like going to a tarot card reading or like a psychic. Give right. me the answers. What am I supposed to do? But therapy is there to guide you. So how were you able to make that shift from, OK, she's not here to give me answers. She's really here to guide me. Not very easily, um, I think. Uh, I was a little annoyed by that answer. I was like, why am I paying you then? Like, kind of like, <laughs> we kept going, though, because I was at a place where I was very invested in therapy. So I was willing to take what she said to heart. And so it was sort of this way, this mental shift of like, what I would realize later is taking back my power. I'd say about December. So I started therapy in September. And I'd say in December is when I started to sort of get more of the aha moments Mm -hmm. that started. So it took a good couple months, which is something I think people really should kind of sit with is this kind of stuff takes time. And you do have to be patient. This isn't something that's sort of like you just flick on a light and oh, like now I get it and I can start dating. Uh, Like it takes time. (laughs) And so in January and December, this theme of like giving away my power emerged. And I realized that I had actually been giving away power in many situations in life without even realizing Mm. it. With dating, with career, with friends. And this sort of led into this greater sphere of of really bringing it back to me. So like one of the big things I'm focusing on now is this very simple question, but it's very hard to answer. And that is, what do I need? Mm. Wait, so what are some of the ways that you were feeling that? Like that you uncovered about yourself with dating and friends and career, all that stuff? Yeah, um, 
It's hard to put into words because there's so many sessions merging together in my head. But basically, instead of taking accountability for dating and relationships and who I'm choosing, I was sort of always putting it on other people without realizing it. Like, for instance, with my ex, you know, I can't believe he said that to me. I can't believe he wouldn't support me. Can you believe he wouldn't support me? Mm -hmm. Uh, And my therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of was like, why weren't you supporting yourself? And yeah. at the time, that mm-hmm. came off very. It came off very harsh at the time. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, that totally makes sense. There was actually even this post in the Facebook group today about like, why are all men that I'm dating emotionally unavailable? And it actually made me think about like the episode we did with Connor Beaton too, when he totally turned some of the conversation around on me even and was mm-hmm. like, how are you showing up that's emotionally available? And that's what you need to focus on, not why all these other people aren't emotionally available. And it's kind of a similar thing. It's like putting the emphasis back on you. That was a great episode, by the way. Really good. I loved that scene. Yes. We <laughs> I was like, we wow. Love yeah. But it was like, it was, I mean, the therapy side of it, it's definitely this like trying to make you see. Cause I think people can only be told, yeah. like, you know, until you're ready to see it, until you're ready to do it. I think that was interesting. What you said is like for years, you kind of put it off until you made it a priority. And I remember like the similar thing. And I think sometimes it actually takes that big event happening. Actually, a reason why a lot of people go the therapy is because of breakups like that's a very common reason to kind of jumpstart it I know Mm -hmm. for me therapy is kind of like dating too like you need to find the right fit of the therapist and that's like why Mm -hmm. how it makes it really good like I've definitely had therapists that I'm like I'm not feeling the connection but then I had the therapist here that I was just like I love and it totally did the same thing like it brought out the stuff in me without her being like do this and do that like you have to kind of pull it out yourself but I think like the biggest piece was you know like I went there for someone else to figure out what happened with that and then it came out with okay this is what's going on for me like they turned it around to be about like what is it for me yeah and I think that's probably one of my biggest surprises too with therapy is how much of it is turned around on you (laughs) even things you don't think are even things like you're so sure oh he did this he did that or the therapist will bring it back to you and be like well why are you you know why do you keep choosing people who don't have the qualities that you need mm-hmm. it's like what mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah can you give us more examples like that where you are sort of blaming the other people and then your therapist is like ah, let's bring it back to you so one of the patterns my therapist pointed out maybe a few months ago was that I tend to jump in, when I am dating a guy or in a relationship I tend to jump into it without being friends with him first mm. so there's usually this immediate ah. going into the dating phase without even mm. trying to be his friend or be platonic and so that sort of developed this homework assignment which was how about for now on when you go meet guys or go on a date you just don't do anything physical just see if there is a friend connection see if you would like this person outside of being attracted to them in some way and i've been Mm. doing that uh i've been uh although i'm i would say i'm on a dating sabbatical i have gone on a few i guess hangout slash dates in the last few months Mm. and I've been applying that mindset of when I meet this guy, I'm actually not going to do anything with him. I'm just going to talk to him and then I'm going to leave and that and then I'm going to mm. process it. 
So, okay, I don't know if you've had this experience, but, like, I, I I relate very hard to this, like, back with an ex situation because I've been there myself. And I think it took me a long time to, like, realize what was kind of under the hood there. Like, I think there, I mean, there was a side that I just did genuinely love this person and wanted to make it work, for sure. But then the other side was, I think I had a subconscious belief that, like, no one else would understand me the way he did. Or, like, I wouldn't find someone else. Or did you experience mm. any of those? revelations <sighs> so i would say yes uh mine was slightly different okay. in that a lot of this is tied to my self-worth so really um if i hadn't said this before my biggest revelation is realizing that i have low self-worth ever since i realized that i feel like i mm. have so much more power mm. in my decisions and when it comes to controlling my thoughts when it comes to controlling my feelings um behaviors understanding where things come from the fact that i can understand that so much of how i think and feel when it comes to negative things comes from self-worth this unconscious belief is just it's transformative so i wanted to say that first mm -hmm. but back to your point one of the first ways that i realized i could get people to like me is through comedy mm -hmm. and because of that i have clinged to sort of this persona of making people laugh as a way to connect mm -hmm. as a way to like me oh like if someone's laughing at you or they can't not like you and so that sort of created this very strong i need to make people laugh desire that's linked to my self-worth and with my ex he got my humor mm. so well and he would always laugh at my jokes mm. i felt a very strong connection with that i would say i put a lot of power into the humor aspect and this sort of superficial if you will um qualities mm. that we often have with relationships that i didn't realize just how inauthentic and how not compatible we really were until months <laughs> after the breakup <laughs> the second time. Um, and so while it is a little, I, I relate a lot to what you said, Julie. Um, I do feel that when I, when I was in at the time, I did feel that if I can't make this work, then I'm just not lovable. But I also realized afterwards, oh, I actually wasn't bringing my best self mm. to this either. I was actually being inauthentic mm -hmm. too without even realizing it. right and how are you taking these learnings to dating even though you said you're on a dating sabbatical <laughs> but when you are actively dating how does this brian post therapy or still in therapy show up 2.0 brian 2.0 maybe like 1.5 yeah <laughs> or most dateable how does the most dateable brian show up for dating I would say it's still sort of being developed. Like I said, I started therapy in September and I'm still very much in it. And while I'm having these revelations, I'm still very much not complete. I can kind of see the shadow of the person I want to be in this long tunnel, but I don't necessarily know what he's going to look like, this actualized person that I really want to be because I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'd say right now, showing up for me really means putting Brian first. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a very sort of deep question for me still because I'm still grappling with this larger question is what is that I need? Because being able to answer what I need involves listening to my thoughts, feelings, and 
also this other element, which I've been having more trouble with, which is listening to my body mm-hmm. because I've disconnected mm-hmm. from my body ever since I was a teenager and I realized I was gay. There's been this cognitive disconnect from my body, mm-hmm. whereas what my body feels is, an unimport- is unimportant. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter because that'll get in the way. And at the time, disconnecting my body was a survival technique so that I would, you know, get by and pass in school. But that carried into adulthood pretty much up until recently. I ignored whatever it is my body told me, whether Mm -hmm. it's being uncomfortable, whether it's being anxious, whether it's being tired. Right. To sort of get through life in a rather inauthentic way. Um, And so I think that currently is one of my biggest hurdles is been listening, being able to reconnect with my body so that I can answer this question of what is it I need right now? I feel like that's been like the theme Mm. of season 12 on this podcast because I totally get it. Like I feel like I've always lived in my head and I always try to justify behavior because I want to see the best in people. But sometimes like you're like, no, I just feel anxious and that's a sign I should be listening to. Like it doesn't always need to like justify it. And again, they're not like a right or wrong person or a bad or good person for doing that. But sometimes it's just not compatible. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. like when you feel it in your body, like when you're feeling like this stomach pit, like that's a sign. And I think we need to start listening to that stuff more. Yes. Oh, so much power in what you said, Julie. Um, I'm just immediately thinking of so much of my 20s where I was a quote unquote social drinker, mm-hmm. which was basically me getting shit faced every weekend. Yes, um, yes. And getting numb. Oh, numbing uh, 100% all those relate to that. Numbing so <laughs> much. Yes. Numbing so much of that pain. But it's it it's that that behavior is so culturally accepted that we don't even question it no. at that age. Um, and it's only now that I'm able to look back on it and be like, wow, I required to be drunk or pretty much blacked out in order just to hook up with a guy, even just to share an intimate sexual experience and some dates, to be frank. It's like, and at the time, I saw nothing wrong with that. Oh, my God. I could so relate. I used to get way too drunk on dates, and my old roommate was like... Dude, this is not okay. (laughs) Like, you need to take it down a notch. And I think, honestly, at least for me, it took that time when I was in therapy and when I went through that, like, intense heartbreak that I didn't really want to go out and party and stuff. I mean, I did fall into, like, a bit of a depression in that time. And I was at – for once in my life, I was at one with my feelings, though, and in my own company. Like, I know – did yours, like – when you were – kind of going through this was it primarily over COVID or was it before COVID that you were kind of having these revelations of therapy this was all over COVID yeah so it started September and then revelations started in December got it so you were kind of like slowed down pace of life by default almost then in COVID times like was this the first time that you felt like you weren't turning to like drinking and friends and whatever other distractions that were out there I can already hear my therapist if she could hear this oh (laughs) she Uh, (laughs) no what would she say (laughs) she would be like your problem is she she would never say your problem this is how i hear her talk (laughs) she would say your problem is that you are uncomfortable with not moving Mm -hmm. and i was like fuck Uh, yeah Yeah. (laughs) and that's a really hard one to grasp because especially in city environments we're so used to just constantly go 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 i got this appointment i got this job i gotta drink starbucks i gotta get dinner i gotta get the kids i gotta forgot the kids gotta go get the kids again like it's just this constant everyday Mm -hmm. lifestyle and so like you said julie i was at a point where 
I'm living at home now with my parents. I was also unemployed at the time. My career was gone. Everything. I was... <laughs> if there was a rock bottom, I had... <laughs> hit the the basement below that so like <laughs> you're like i'm five stories it was below my, rock bottom literally right <laughs> in my parents basement um it's and so like nothing had gone at plan and i was grappling with that my therapist was basically just like we need to work on you being okay with not moving mm-hmm. because you're putting all of these external pressures on you so for instance my career not having my own mm-hmm. place this kind of thing living with my parents but you're not here You're in the future, you're in the past, you're giving power, again, with the power, you're giving power to other things, instead of just having the power here. And it was a process, Mm -hmm. it was a process to slowly come to the point I'm at now, which is, let me just kind of be here. Let's take a, a break from this really insightful conversation with Brian and hear a quick message. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. (laughs) Wait, what? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know, it's like we go through so many feelings and emotions in a day, but we have so many tools now for Mm -hmm. distraction that we only feel like two or three of the feelings throughout a day when we probably felt a hundred different things. And I think something therapy has opened up for me is when I am uncomfortable or when I get into that situation where I'm feeling uneasy, feel the feeling instead of trying to find something to distract me like a drink or watching TV or scrolling through the internet because we do that so much on dates. I have asked people, can you do a sober first date? Mm -hmm. We've asked Mm -hmm. that, right? This is why we have the hashtag (laughs) Sober first kiss because I really feel like chemistry can be determined when you are both people are sober and people would say, well, what else am I going to do on a date? We can't just sit there and not do something. My hands got to be touching something. I'd be drinking something. We just can't sit with our feelings anymore. And therapy forces you to do that. It's super uncomfortable, but at least you recognize the Mm -hmm. different feelings that you're getting throughout the day. And that's why COVID's been so damn uncomfortable for a lot of people because yes. like, I remember, yes. I mean, oh like I did God. this consciously because I was in a low point in my life. But like, I feel like a lot of people just got thrown into this through COVID, not necessarily yes. like seeking out being at one with their feelings. Like I just remember going out like every night of the week at one point in my life to just distract mm-hmm. myself. And I think people do that with mm-hmm. dates all the time. Like maybe this is a good segue to some takeaways. Ways, but I think like this whole like, you know, distraction piece and like what is the root of what you're actually doing?
doing. Like, I think so many times we think we need to just fill the funnel. We need to go on date after date. We need to do X and Y activity to meet people. But a lot of times when we really become dateable is when we get at one with our feelings. And it's the stuff that like you don't think about. Like you think about like, how do I hack the dating app or like fix my profile? But that stuff really actually is, at least in my opinion, not the stuff that really matters. Like it's when you get raw and real. And like sometimes that takes time. Like you're saying it's it's a process. It's not going to happen in like a weekend retreat. Like this is like an ongoing process. (laughs) And I think sometimes you have to be alone. Like you're taking a dating sabbatical. Sometimes you need an alone time to start processing it. And then you can like slowly emerge back out once you've kind of had that opportunity to process more. And to your point about the dating sabbatical, I had been on apps pretty much all of my 20s in some way or another Tinder, Hinge, you name it. And so Mm -hmm. when I finally took all the apps off my phone, as in I deleted them Mm -hmm. off my phone, I didn't put them in a little folder, I deleted them (laughs) off my phone, delete button. It was very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I no longer had this outlet where I could go and seek what I thought was um, potential matches. But in reality, being on the app was probably the biggest barrier to all of this stuff I'm discussing Mm -hmm. right now. Because like I said, I have the low self-worth core belief. And when I'm on an app, it's basically like a buffet for my low Mm self-worth. And because Mm. people don't respond for whatever reason, people ghost, people Mm -hmm. unmatch, people don't swipe right on you, people don't super like, people don't... There's just all of these constant everything for a low self-worth core belief to just be grabbing at being like ah see right here like someone wouldn't respond oh like god like why do i feel so shitty right now i would feel shitty all the time but i wouldn't understand why i'd be like oh like oh this guy screw him like whatever now i know it's because it was just constant Mm -hmm. food for my core belief and so when i took all the apps off it was finally there was suddenly no more evidence for my mm-hmm. core beliefs to grab onto. Mm-hmm. And it was this quiet. Mm-hmm. And then when you go back, like eventually, now you have the skill set to be like, okay, this person's not responding. They could be like, not even active on this app like they could have a significant other like you don't necessarily turn to it's all about me and I think I always say this to people it's like if you're in a low point like especially like getting over a breakup like people think like I'm just gonna download the app and I'll be okay and like you need a thick skin when you're dating this day and age like it's not a walk in the park and if you're already in a bad place like I remember doing the same when I was going through this period like I'm like I need this was the first time I was truly single in my entire life like no one in in the picture and I think it's like I just I couldn't handle it like I was already at such a low that like I couldn't have that additional lows that came with dating so I think like really like to date you need to be in a good place mentally like that is such an important piece of dating yeah the biggest thing I'd say from a takeaway from therapy I've had is that my therapist said this the other day how she said she said the relationship is only as strong as its weakest link that's really helped me kind of frame relationships now and understanding that I, if I'm not able to bring my best complete self, it'll be sort of kind of like a bridge with sort of like, I don't know, a rotting pillar or something, something that's kind of weak and like would mm-hmm. fall over if a big gust of wind like pushes it too hard. If 
I don't have my career in order. How how am I bringing that into the dating? If I'm unhappy with the career I have and I hate my job, mm-hmm. yes, I'm yep. unconsciously bringing that into the relationship. If my main thing is like, oh, like I need to party and I need to drink every weekend. Well, why is that? Why is that my main coping mechanism? Not to say like, you know, all drinkers is coping, but like in the specific scenario. So there's all these like questions I have now about how do I make myself more complete mm-hmm. so that when I do go into dating, my pillar is strong? Yep. Absolutely. I My biggest takeaway from this conversation is you said something earlier, Brian. You said, um, I learned from therapy to put mm-hmm. myself first. And I wanted to pause there because I think some people could misunderstand this statement. Putting yourself first is different than being selfish. Putting yourself first means whatever it is that you're feeling in the moment, ask yourself how you're feeling first before you try to guess what the other person's doing, what they're thinking, guess if why they can't like you back, why they can't change their behavior. We have to start with our own actions and our own thoughts first. And so something we always see in dating, especially when I was doing dating coaching, very similar to therapy, is that people come in seeking answers about someone I've never met, not my client. (laughs) But they want to know, why isn't she texting me back? Why doesn't he like me? Why did this breakup happen? Well, I'm sorry. I don't know this other person. Mm -hmm. I'm not psychic. I cannot tell you. But how can you show up better for this relationship? And how can you be a better dater? That's putting yourself first. That's what that means. So I really love that you brought that up. I was going to have that as my other takeaway too, because I think it's so important. And I think it's something I've struggled with for years. Like I think some of it does come from like the the low self-worth too, that you're like, oh, this person likes me. You know, like I'm going to now adapt to like fit in with them and like be, I mean, I think I was the cool girl for so many years that I was adaptable and, you know, and I'm not saying being adaptable is a bad quality, but when you're like self sacrificing your own needs it is problematic or I'd be afraid to share my needs because I didn't want to like rock the boat and like make this person like upset and want to leave and think I'm not the cool Mm -hmm. person for them and I think like there's there is this selfish feeling about being like my needs come first but at the end of the day like they do come first and like I love what your therapist said like instead of blaming these other people it's like like finding people that meet your needs like we always say that you know Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are single is because they're chasing people that aren't available. Yeah. The wrong people. And it's like, you're yes. not asking for it too mm-hmm. much. You're just asking it from the wrong person. And I'm saying that as someone that's been there before. So not, not talking down to anyone. Definitely have wasted many years. I shouldn't say wasted. Learned for many years <laughs> of, you know, like mm-hmm. trying to like make someone something that they weren't right right i mean that's we always ask that too julie and i are always like first of all do you like this person because you know we always hear like how do i get this person to like me back Mm -hmm. do they like me well first first and foremost do you actually like so so i just want to catch ua on that real quick so that was my revelation last week ua of this question of i had been telling my therapist because there was this guy i went out with and basically short story is he he didn't message me back after the date after i had messaged him i was left on red and so of course all the feelings start all the thoughts mm-hmm. start and and then I, you know i was like wait 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 stop let's pause why am i so worried about what he thinks right. what about what i want wait a second <laughs> right. i keep asking myself 
what does he want? Oh, does he want to be uh, does he right. friends? Does he want to hook up? Does he interested in me romantically? Wait, right. wait, 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 wait. I don't even know what I right. want from this guy. I can't even <laughs> answer that question. So why right. am I so... Because you should have seen my therapist. She was right. just like, I've been waiting for this for so long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like those moments too when all the, sh- like the work comes to full stop. But that's really important that you took that second. Or it's like, how does this person make me feel? Like, what am I looking for? I'm looking yeah. for someone that makes me feel secure and yes. loved and happy and them leaving you on yes. red is none of the above right so it's like why chase them it's <laughs> it's so it liberating is. to come to that revelation because you're like actually this right. is not you're what like, I thank want. you you just showed me <laughs> great move on find that person that is yes <laughs> and i thought i was so like oh like oh yeah i got dating and like i'm you know i know what i'm doing i look look at me communicating i want to know what the guy thinks i'm so direct i was like praising myself for this behavior and then mm. the whole time and then there was this moment like why am i so concerned in that moment i will say that moment ever since then my confidence has started to come back And my confidence has been gone for most of this year, almost a year now, since all this started with my breakup, with school. This is the first time this past week or two that I felt my confidence slowly come back into Mm -hmm. me. And that has been the most amazing feeling. And it started with this switch of just saying, what about what I want? Love it. And this is exactly why you are most dateable. (laughs) This is why. I think people think like, oh, being most dateable must mean you get most dates or you're the most wanted. And I want people to just stop right there because that's it's not a popular it's not a popularity contest being most dateable means you have enough Mm -hmm. self-awareness that you're humble and that you know you're constantly evolving as a person so you're constantly learning about yourself and other people what makes you dateable is your vulnerability and your openness to change and not being stuck on these rules or this school of thought or the old brian or the new brian you're not tied to these outcomes you're your mission is to become the best version of yourself. And that's what makes you most dateable. And find someone that also loves that version, right? And yes. puts your needs first, right? That's that's the goal at the end of the day. <laughs> it's, it is a goal. You, all, you both are so sweet. And I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you and how much I love Dateable and how happy I am to be on here. You both are amazing. And there's one thing I did want to say as well before we end, and that is, you know, anyone listening right now, if you're at a point where you're, you know, you're thinking about therapy, but you're unsure, or you've wanted therapy mm-hmm. for a while, but you're not, you just feel like you kind of need that extra push. Because I remember when I was in that space of uncertainty, and I wanted, I wanted someone to tell me, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you want that sign, here it is. It's okay. Go to therapy. It can only make you a better, more actualized person. It is okay to go to therapy. I love that. I'm so happy you said that too, because I mean, like therapy has made strides over the years, but there is still stigma in a, for a lot of people that don't have this as present. And I think like, I mean, UA and I are clearly pro-therapy believers because we've also heard for over five years when we've been doing this podcast, the people that have shown the most evolution, a lot of times therapy was a major reason for that change. So, and I mean, we mm-hmm. both experienced it firsthand within ourselves 
themselves also. So totally agree with you. But I think like just like hearing your story and like hearing other people like be like, I came out from a low to a confidence and also just like having the confidence to know that you might hit that low again, but you'll work your way up. Like that's part of life and the evolution. It's it's not like I said, it's not a weekend retreat. It's kind of like a forever, forever thing that you're going through. Yeah. Let's get like really intimate right here because for anybody who's made it to the end of this episode, it means that you must believe in therapy (laughs) to some respect and you are curious about it. But the people who truly need therapy probably did not even play this episode. I bet you anything because they don't think it's relevant for them. So being the good friend that you are, if you're listening right now and you have a friend who is more, more concerned about getting more dates or getting more matches... Send them this episode because what they're looking for is a superficial change that is setting mm-hmm. them up for failure. They're, what they're building is a weak house with pretty paint. And that paint eventually will chip off. But when you have a good foundation, which is what you get in therapy, then you're able to house the people in in your space who are also strong and who also want to be along for the ride. So if you want to be a good friend, send them this episode and say, you know what? I really think you could benefit from listening to this. Wow. I love that analogy, UA. That was great. <laughs> that was therapist in training right here. That was great. I'm studying for my exam right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being vulnerable. And I guess we never really talked about this word when you've demonstrated vulnerability this entire time. Vulnerability to me is just having the courage to state your needs and mm-hmm. state your feelings. That's what it is. It's it's a very courageous thing to do. So Brian, you've demonstrated that without actually saying the word, I'm being vulnerable. <laughs> hey, that's the best thing. You're not like, I'm funny. Like you just are funny, right? So <laughs> yeah. show us your V card without showing us your V card, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that'll be my uh, dating profile headliner. Come see yeah. my V card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come take my V card. <laughs> And for all of our listeners, please, please, we love getting guests who are vulnerable and self-aware like Brian. And we only get these guests because we have great reviews in Apple Podcasts. So if you could do the same, if you haven't done that yet, give us a five-star review with a little something nice about us. And this will be our basically our currency to go out there and find better guests who are bringing the content that you love and are life-changing so thank you for doing that if you haven't done that already and uh, thank you again brian um we will wrap this up in true dateable fashion stay The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag stay dateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. Stay dateable.